Today's episode is brought to you by Create Engage, the digital marketing agency for the disruptive management consultancy. Digital marketing has moved forwards, but most consulting firms haven't. Many consulting firms still see their corporate blog as their sole digital marketing channel and find themselves frustrated when these blogs yield little, if any, results. For those consultancies that understand digital marketing, though, it can be a huge asset and help them achieve rapid business growth. In fact, at Create Engage, we've recently written a case study of one successful consulting firm that used digital marketing to help them grow over 400% in just three years. Having spent countless hours researching consulting firms and consulting leaders for this podcast, it became very clear that while some firms do digital marketing well, the vast majority of consulting firms struggle to leverage its power and don't know where to start. To help those of you who want to harness the power of digital marketing to grow your consulting business, but don't have the knowledge, capacity, or in-house capability to do so, I launched Create Engage, the first digital marketing agency for the management consulting industry. As former consultants ourselves, we understand the challenges that you face when it comes to delivering effective digital marketing that engages prospective clients and generates leads. Having worked in the industry, we understand consulting buyers what resonates with them and what doesn't. This enables us to harness the latest in digital marketing in a way that aligns with your brand and your market positioning to attract the prospective clients that you're looking to target. We understand that each consultancy is unique and have a range of services to help you shape, implement and sustain effective digital marketing strategies that deliver results, regardless of where you are on your digital marketing journey. If you would like to find out more, about how Create Engage can help you use digital marketing to take your business to the next level, then send me an email at nick at createengage.co.uk or go to our website, createengage.co.uk, where you can download that free case study that breaks down the digital marketing strategies used by one successful consulting firm to help them grow over 400% in just three years and gives you the secrets they used so that you can apply them in your own firm. If you want to outpace your competitors and stand out in the crowded consulting market, then get in touch. We'd love to help you grow your business through digital marketing. Hi, and welcome to Climbing Consulting. In today's episode, I speak to Chris Gibson, Partner and Managing Director at Penn. Penn are a client of ours here at Create Engage, and having got to know Chris and the Penn team over the last six months, I knew that he would make a great guest for the show. Penn are a really unique consultancy, and I'm not just saying that because we work with them. Penn was founded by a collective of consultants striving to solve many of the problems that they saw in the traditional consulting model, something that we go into detail on in today's show. Having launched the business in 2012, Chris and the team have gone from strength to strength, successfully growing Penn from just the founding team into a consultancy that regularly has more than 100 consultants supporting clients at any one time. While I've got to know Chris well over the last six months, it was great to have a chance to sit down with him and find out more about his personal journey, learn about the pen story, and hear about those pieces that I didn't know. In today's conversation, we cover a whole host of topics, including what led Chris and his fellow partners to launch Pen and how they've approached the growth of the business over those last eight years to ensure they're able to stay in their sweet spot, both for the team and their clients. The importance of culture and what you need to focus on to develop and maintain a culture you can be proud of. 
and Chris's candid perspective on the pros and cons of joining a smaller consultancy, how they're not right for everybody, and what you need to think about if you're considering making the leap. I really enjoyed this conversation with Chris, and it was great to find out more about the journey that both he and Penn have been on. Penn don't shout loudly about it, but their success speaks for itself, from their awards for excellence in well-being through to their successful startup adventures business. Whether you're looking for insights on how to grow your own consulting firm, or you're earlier in your career and you're trying to decide whether you should make the move to a smaller firm like Penn, then I know you're going to get a ton from today's conversation. So without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Chris Gibson. Chris, welcome to the show. Thank you, Nick. Nice to be here. So really looking forward to, to this one. Obviously, I know quite a bit of the pen journey, given that, that we work together. Yeah. Um, but as with all of these things, I'm sure there's lots I don't know. And obviously, for my listeners, there'll be many people out there who may not have come across yourselves before. So I think there's much to, to share with me and help my learning as it is to theirs. And almost to exactly that. Maybe for those who don't know you so well, it'd be great to just start with a brief overview of your background and how you got to where you are today. Let's do that. Before we start, though, I've uh, I've got something for you. I've bought you a present. <laughs> this is a first. This is the first this on is a, your podcast. This is a first on my podcast. And, and as I said earlier, we are we're testing video. So uh, what have you got me? Well, I know you're a rugby fan. Because <laughs> the first time I met you, you were about to go to Japan to watch the the World Cup. And there's a big rugby match coming up between England and Ireland. There and is. I thought I would buy you oh. something to uh, Chris. That is to fantastic. Wear on the day. So if I don't see a photograph Amazing. of you wearing an Irish rugby jersey, thank you very much. So on for the those, day, I'll be very upset. So for those listening, Chris has very kindly bought me an Ireland jersey. That is, thank you so much. It's, uh, <laughs> I, will, I will wear that. That will that will be your victory for the day. I don't think the game will go your way, but thank you very much. I, I, I think I think you might be right. <laughs> Thank you very much, Chris. Well, that is a that is an exceptional start, and a note to all other guests for future episodes. Greatly received. Well, hopefully, I've started a trend for you. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much. Well, so, so you wanted to hear about my my career, my background. Please, in yeah. how, how did you get to how did you get to where you are today? Well, I'm uh, I've spent my whole career in consulting. Actually, I said that to a client recently, one of my favorite clients the other day, and she said, "Oh, you were born in captivity." <laughs> Yeah, so I made a decision from university to join uh, a consulting business, and I did a four-year degree up in Edinburgh University. I did a business master's degree, and one of the big benefits of doing a four-year degree was that a lot of my friends were in England, and they they spent three years studying, so they tackled the job market before I got to it. And I got a bit of advice from a friend of mine who joined a consulting business, and he said, I've got a tip for you. There's this great course that one of the big four consulting firms offers called the Experience in Consulting. It was Pricewaterhouse. And he said, even if you don't want to join consulting, you know, it's a three-day course. They take you down to London. They buy you nice meals. There's lots of drinks. You'll meet a lot of interesting people. And actually, you'll learn a lot about consulting. So I headed back to Edinburgh and there. Uh, find this course. This is before the days of the internet. So I had to write to them and, uh, and find out about this course. And I got on it and I headed down to London and I spent three days in an excellently managed course, a great environment run by consultants who'd given up their, their weekend with, I don't know, there was 20, 25 of us who went through this experience in consulting. And it was a structured process to take us through the different disciplines in consulting and tell us a bit about what it was all about. So I, I had a smashing time, uh, met a lot of good people. 
And I, I was just overwhelmed by the the drive and positivity of everybody that I met that was in consulting. And I went back to Edinburgh thinking, right, okay, that's for me. So uh, I planned out who to apply for and applied for lots of different consultancies. And I actually ended up joining PricewaterhouseCoopers. So they merged with Coopers and Lybrand before I got a chance to, to join. And I spent the first five years of my career in a big consultancy business. I worked in financial services projects, mostly on large scale systems integration style stuff. And I found a bit of a niche for myself as a stepping stone between the business and the systems work. I, I quickly worked out that I wasn't a developer or I couldn't design programs very well, but I found myself partway between the business and the, uh, the IT, the world of IT. And I really enjoyed that. But I, about five years in, once I'd worked out what consulting was all about, it started to dawn on me, and I'm sure we'll get into this later, but it started to dawn on me that maybe delivering consulting in a large-scale firm wasn't the best way to drive value for, for clients. Uh, so I started looking for a small business that was specializing in, in the area I was working in, which was financial services. And I came across a business called Troika, which at the time is a very well-known niche consulting business that, that worked in FS. I looked on their website and I was lucky enough that someone I had worked with previously worked there and I dropped them a line and I ended up getting an interview and, and joining that business. And that was the second chapter of, of my career, really. And as soon as I arrived there, you know, even within the first month, I realized, you know, my eyes were open. I was realized I thought, right, I'm in the right place here. My learning curve went exponential you know i had so much exposure to senior clients and to senior members of the of the business i was seeing projects from end to end i could get my hand you know my head around the business i knew everybody there i knew what the strategy was i knew about the financials and i could see how things that i were doing were actually was actually impacting the business as well and i had a great time there that business troika was then sold to a big american firm called navigant at the time which I think is now called Guidehouse. And I ended up running their banking business in the UK and we became their UK financial services consulting business. And I enjoyed that for, yeah, another five, seven years. And I had a, I had a great time there. And I, I kind of got involved in the American side of the business and was on their leadership training course. And I kind of you know, had a good time. Um, but one day I woke up and realized, hold on, I'm in a big consulting firm here again. And a lot of the pressures and strains that I had seen in my big four career had found their way back into my life again. And I realized I wanted to get back to how I thought consulting should be done. So with a, a group of like-minded souls, uh, we started Penn. And that was, that was seven and a half, eight years ago now. And we haven't looked back since. Fantastic. And tons in there, Chris, to... To dive into, we'll definitely you know, spend spend a good chunk of time on on Penn and the journey because I think there's some really unique elements of your model and both the the origin story that we'll save for shortly, but also just the how you've grown the firm and the philosophy that underpins it. And actually, I, I'm interested in that point, and maybe we start there of that decision to leave the big four because you mentioned you mentioned around it was those pressures and strains, and almost you you had that sort of you woke up it at that point in Navigant, and it had become that as well. Almost, what were those pressures and strains that made you decide, actually, no, I'm, I think I should go and look elsewhere? Well, first of all, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of benefits to the big four, and I had a fantastic time there, and it's a, it is a genuinely brilliant place to start your 
career, they wrote the book on training. I remember when I first joined as a graduate, my first three months, I was taken to, to Tampa in Florida. Wow. I spent three months training on all the different facets of how to be a consultant. We were learning how to do big systems integration work at the time. So it was, how do you do requirements gathering and, and analysis and design and testing? And, you know, I learned a lot there that I've taken through my whole my whole career. And you also get exposure to big, exciting projects that you might not see in smaller businesses. And you've got the brand behind you, you know, as you get, you progress more in your career and selling to clients becomes a, a big driver. You know, having that brand behind you is a, is a, is a massive benefit. And there's the, the support network of the marketing team and the knowledge management team and the uh, white paper production team that you don't have in a small business. But, well, I guess I find myself in a position too many times where I was thinking, I was working on a client project and I was thinking, if I'd done this before, I'd be able to do this much better. And, you know, I'm, I'm a good, I know I'm a good consultant. I can follow a process. I can solve problems and I can get through this. But actually, if this wasn't the first time I was doing it, I'd be much better at this. And I also find myself working in small slices of projects rather than seeing the journey end to end. And there were a few times, and it happened again and again, I was thinking, actually, if I'd been involved in the design of this solution, now that I'm testing it, I would have done this differently. And now I'm seeing the issues we're getting in testing. If I could go back and design a solution like this again, I'd take a different route. And also the, I find that I wasn't getting exposure to either the senior members of the business or the senior clients that I wanted. Often I was on programs that I had three or four layers between me and, and you know, anyone in the, in the client that, uh, that was a decision maker. And so I think the benefit of delivering consultancy in a small environment, uh, sorry, the other thing I should say is I wanted to specialize and at the time I was being forced into a, an industry agnostic resource pool, whereas I'd always spent time on financial services projects and I thought there was value in that and I didn't want to lose that. And I wanted to work for a business that, that specialized in something in particular. And I wanted to stay in financial services. And that's why I went looking elsewhere. And we'll come on to actually how you've used those underpinnings almost to build the business you have with the um, with, with your fellow partners. Because I think that's it's interesting hearing some of that and knowing some of the pen story, because I'm sure you, you'll be able to tell me more. But there's quite a few of those elements of almost one of the guiding principles, as I understand it, for, for you and the, the founding team is, is to be able to give people some of those benefits that you can't get that made you leave the big firms so that you can you can build that firm you, you wanted and, and have that environment and we'll come on to, to culture as well. But wh why don't we actually jump fast forward to Penn? Because I think the the origin story of the the business is quite interesting and particularly and you can tell me you know the other parts that are that for you and the team were sort of the, the poignant elements but for me the bit that sticks out is is the number of founders because i've had a number of guests on the show where the founders have been one two three maybe four people but for yourselves it was it was nine of you who founded the business which is frankly i think quite unusual in our in our industry and i'd be really interested actually what was it that brought the nine of you together and how did you decide it was was the nine of you and not the four or five or actually at the other end you know the 10 11 or 12 yeah i think we were very lucky to start with nine and in particular very lucky to start with those particular nine 
you need a bit of luck in business. <laughs> yeah. And we find a team that works really well, you know, probably the, the highest performing team I've ever been involved with. So it was nine people, not all of which knew each other previously, but most of us had worked together at some time. We weren't all working together at the same time, so it wasn't as if we all stood up and walked out of a business in one go. But we, many of us have known each other for, you know, for 15 years. And I guess we were all having that same realization that we'd find ourselves in situations where we were, we were back in the big organization, yeah, being pulled out of shape in terms of how we thought consultancy should be delivered. And so there were little pockets of conversations going on between, between those characters. But there was one person, a very impressive guy called Richard Vale, who's got to take a lot of credit for, for starting Penn. He struck the flint that lit the fire that is Penn and, you know, organized the conversations and, and started the ball rolling. And two or three of us said, yeah, I'm in, let's go. Uh, let's get this started. And very quickly, it was four or five. And we got nine people committed within a very short space of time, a short number of months. And we said, right, okay, the, you know, there was no one else on the horizon. There were a few disparate conversations going on on whether a couple of other people might want to join. But we said, right, okay, that's it. We're, we're, we've got enough. We're good to go now. And yeah, looking back at it now, those were, those were exciting times, <laughs> particularly the moment when uh, we said, right, okay, we've, we've started a business. Well done us. Right. What happens next? <laughs> <laughs> and, and I do want to come on to the what happens next. I guess I I didn't quite appreciate that it was more of a disparate group as you paint than it was sort of, I guess I, I, I was almost under the impression there was a, almost like you said, you'd all come from one place or one team. And I guess, how did those conversations snowball, if you like? Was it that Richard spoke to, I don't know, three of you who all said, oh, I've spoken to to one other person who might be interested in this. You know, was it that organic? Was there more of a, we need a critical, you mentioned critical management, we need a, a certain number to go. How, how did those early conversations start? Yeah, well, it was, it was fascinating. I guess Richard was kind of pushing things along on number of fronts and people were starting to talk to each other and there were kind of conversations around the the coffee machine in particular organizations where there was kind of knowing glances and uh, yeah it just happened organically from there you know there must have been a point where you all came together as a group and said we're going to do this and actually what did you do to get comfortable with each other because ultimately you're trusting your your livelihood and your your mortgage and your you know your um, sort of your family's income to these other people who by the sounds of it you know you didn't know them all there. Some of them would have been, I guess, strangers. Almost. How did you... Well, I might be overplaying that bit. Okay. We weren't all working... What I was trying to say is we weren't all working together at the same time in the same organization. So we all, most of us, although not everybody, had worked together at some point in our careers. Um, so it wasn't as if it was a bunch of strangers. So the getting to know you bit wasn't wasn't the difficult bit. Um, okay. What, what, what was the difficult bit? So the, yeah, the difficult bit in the origin story was... I wouldn't say there's just challenges in, in starting a business. Nothing at the time felt insurmountable at all, you know, but we, we knew we had to get ourselves busy. We knew we had to recruit a team and get them busy. And we knew we needed to start to build the structure of the business. And we found out very quickly that the team worked brilliantly together. We all found our different area that we were able to con contribute to. And it, um, it, as I say, it worked very organically right from the start. So like you say, it's it's obviously worked very well for you and, and you know, 
the firm is here now because of it. I guess I'm interested, and it's something I know we, we spoke about a little before recording this, of almost actually your role, if you like, and and how you, you became managing director. Because I guess one thing that some people listening might think is, well, if you've got nine of you and you're, you're trying to do everything in a partner meeting, particularly those early days when, as a business, you've, you know, you're going to be reacting to a lot of things. Almost, how did that side of the that you know the growth journey evolve? And actually, what was it that led to you and the the rest of the partnership deciding we do need a managing director and and it should be yourself? Was that something that came up quite early? Was that organic? Where where did that come from? No, we actually very deliberately decided that we didn't want to have a managing partner in the early days, that it was a team of peers and we were all contributing equally to the business. And that worked brilliantly. And we we all sweated the detail of everything and um, we felt passionately about what we were doing. Kind of everybody was involved in everything. It was a great, it, it was and still is a great experience. But it did come a point a few years in where we said, right, listen, we can't manage everything by committee. We've got to play to our strengths here. So we need to leave some people to to go and do sales, some people to worry about the people side of the business or whatever it might be. And we, and we said, right, we need someone to be the managing director of the business or someone that is you know, responsible for managing the team, responsible for setting the strategy, setting the plan and making sure we deliver to that plan. And most importantly, making sure we've got the environment for our team to have the support they need to develop and do what we want to do in the business. And it's not a position that is above the rest of the partner group, you know, of which there are more than nine now, you know. So that partner group has grown over time and we've taken people that have been promoted up through the business and also have joined us from outside, which adds another new dynamic as well, which is great and, and exciting. And um, yeah, the company keeps developing. But the managing director role, I see it as a way I can serve the partner group and the way, the way that I can um do my bit to make sure that Penn runs in the right way. And um, I'm very proud and happy to be doing it. <laughs> in terms of deciding who it was going to be, we did, we had an arm wrestle. <laughs> no, I think it just, yeah, it just fell naturally. Mm. We kind of had the conversation and, uh, and we decided it would just happen naturally that it should be me. And that worked well. And we're here recording the interview because of it. So I'm glad, <laughs> I'm glad, go, yeah. glad it did, Chris. I wouldn't have had I wouldn't I don't think I would have got such a generous gift if it hadn't. So I'm glad it worked out like that. Uh, and I guess and and as I said, I, I know I warned you at the start, we'll, we'll jump a little around the chronology, but I'm, with that being a few years in, I guess I'm quite interested in those early conversations about that approach, and particularly that approach to almost the direction you take the business in. Because I've had plenty of people on this show who have started a consulting firm to sell. I've had others who are, are building firms to to grow into global firms. I've had others who are building firms to a certain size and the size of business they want. And how did you in those early days, and, and if it was, you know, it was more just because of the people you brought on, you all had that shared philosophy, and, you know, it might be a shorter question, but what was that driving principle and how did you get everyone aligned on that direction that you were going to take pen in and, and the way you were going to grow the business in those early days? Well, it started from what did we want to build, you know, and fundamentally we wanted to build a business, a consultancy business that was brilliant and valuable and exciting and fun for both the clients we do work for and the people inside it. So we wanted to focus on delivering great stuff from our for our clients first and foremost, and that means you need to specialize because I think the value in consulting comes from 
having done it before and having solved the, the, the same problems for clients in the past, but also doing it in a, in a, in a different way, doing it in a personable way, a human, more a human side to consulting, working with client teams in a way that they enjoy as well, working in small teams, doing big things, you know, so we never, we wanted to actively avoid the land and expand model. You know, the model at Penn is very much get in, get the job done and get out. And you know that when the client needs help the next time, they'll phone you because they had a great experience and got a great outcome from the project. So that was the kind of, that was the basic premise of everything. But of course that can come in different shapes and sizes and directions. And first of all, we spent a lot of time together and I'm talking the entire business. So we, we obviously recruited people very pretty quickly at the start and we spent a lot of time together and we still do as a company dealing with these points and dealing with these issues and making sure that people understand exactly where we're going. But one of the, I remember one of the early meetings right at the start of the business. One thing we did was we all, we all drew a picture of what we wanted to see Penn like in, in 10 years time. Uh, the pictures were, looked very different some of them looked like they were written in sanskrit and some of them some of them were artistically brilliant but they they all said very similar things whenever you uh, whenever you dug into it and that those were the the points i just made about how we want to do consulting so that the mission that we've that we've set out on is is to deliver great great outcomes for our clients build a great company that we all want to work in for a long long time to come to give something back to other people that need it more than ourselves and to have a lot of fun along the way. And that as the central premise to what we're doing has, has worked very well. But you mentioned, you mentioned growth and then where you want to take the business. That's, that's another major question, right? So you can do a lot of those, the things I've just mentioned <laughs> in, a, in a different speeds, can't you? At Penn, we want to follow a sensible growth trajectory. So. You know, in the market, as you say, you often see businesses that are setting up to grow quickly and, and sell for, for the highest possible price. And in doing that, I see companies quite often get into their sweet spot quickly. So the point at which they've got great relationships with clients, they're delivering great work, they've got a really high quality team, the brand is building value and they're doing really well. They're having a lot of fun doing it. But I often see those companies then sailing straight past that sweet spot, you know, pushing for that annual growth figure, that exponential growth um, to try and build the value of the business. And in doing that, they do a few different things. So they, they need to recruit people quickly. So they drop the quality bar of their team. They start taking on work that they're not necessarily qualified to do. So they start getting into trouble on projects, which gets into difficulty with clients and damages the uh, brand. So we've always said a pen, let, let's grow at a sensible pace. You know, we're, we're privately owned, we own the business. So there's, there's no outside shareholder or stakeholder demanding 30% growth next year. You know, we can grow at a, at a level that we're happy with where we can maintain the quality bar of our team. We need to make sure that the team is as of the highest possible quality and never let that drop. We can take on work only that we know how to deliver, you know, and one of our biggest sales tool is saying, saying no to work. And, all, you know, often clients will come to us and say, listen, I trust you guys. I know you'll do a good job. Can you help me with this? There's always a little bit in consulting of, we've not quite done that before, but, you know, I know we can, we can yeah. deal with that for you. So there's always a little bit of, of pushing the envelope, but 
when you really should not be doing that work, saying no to the client and saying, listen, this isn't us. We'll help you work out what the approach is. We'll help you find someone who should be helping you with this. And if need be, we'll manage them or, or whatever it might be. But actually, this, is, this isn't the fit for Penn. And I think if we stick to those points, we'll do just fine. And it's, it's a really interesting point you make around that, you know, how some of those challenges can come up if you, you, you try and grow too fast. And actually, how do you keep on top of those? It's obviously an ever-present risk you've highlighted there. How do you and the, you know, the partnership make sure that you are, you're in that sweet spot and growing at the rate that you and the team want to, but you're not at risk of, like you say, sort of sailing past or going beyond that? Well, we spend a lot of time thinking about getting our project teams right for, for client work. And we think about three things with that. So we talk about the content area. So the first thing you need is a group of people that understand the content area, the product set, the operations, the systems that the client is dealing with. The second one is you need a project team that have solved the problem or a similar problem in the past. And they also need to have delivered the process that brings that solution live. And I think if you've got all three of those things, then it's much easier to deliver a great outcome for the client because you, you get into the conversations like we've done this before the last, the last five or six times we've done this, we've taken this route on the solution and that's we find that's the right way to do it. So we can spend three weeks analyzing the problem, but we've got empirical evidence that tells us that's the right way to go. So we can save a lot of time and head in that direction. Or you can say, we need to tackle this area now because when we've delivered this solution in the past, we know it is difficult to define that particular part of the solution or deliver that part of the solution. So you, so we need to prioritize that. And you know, you can add value to clients much quicker if you've got those three elements on a project team. So we are strict about making <laughs> sure we've got the right team on projects. And I think that brings us quite nicely, actually, to to something that I certainly think is quite unique in your model around the the way you, you balance your team to do that. Because you've obviously, you've got a core team here of, of permanent uh, members of the team, but you've obviously also got quite a, a strong associate base, which... I guess is in part to, to, like you say, that that content specialist element of the the mix. But I'd be I'd be really interested in almost how you decided on that business model, and it might be for all of the reasons you just explained there. How you decided on that mix of associates and, and permanents, and almost the the benefits that you you find for both yourselves and your your clients in using that model. Yeah, it was a very deliberate part of the strategy. That it was something that we set out on right from the start to build a strong associate network and we do that for three reasons first of all what we've just talked about you know access to deep subject matter expertise that we couldn't it's not cost effective to, for us to have in our core team so that we, we couldn't keep that type of skill set busy on a regular basis but we can pull on that expertise whenever we need it to to get the right answer for a project team secondly it helps us punch above our weight <laughs> so we've got a team of over 40 now but we've worked with up to 60 associates in the market at any one time you know we have blended teams out there we've got a good mix of the core team and our associate network which helps us you know, staff a wider array of projects and also it helps us keep our cost base flexible which was always a big tenant of what we wanted to do at Penn we part of the issues that we talked about earlier in delivering consultancy in a big 
firm model is there's a, there's a lot of mouths to feed. Yeah. So utilization and rates becomes the big factor. You get, you get pushed on, on that too much and that pulls you out of shape and you get forced into that land and expand model and you find yourself having conversations with a client that you really don't want to be having, trying to persuade them to buy more and put more people on the project when actually you should just stick to the job you've been asked to do, get in, get the job done and get out. So by keeping our cost base flexible, we avoid those pressures and by growing at our own pace, we avoid those pressures and it means that we can um, we can keep in control of, of that culture that we want to build. And also it works for the associates. So a lot of the, the associates that, that are in our network and, and you know work with us again and again have something else going on in their life. So they're often a bit later in their career. They have they've done their last big job and they're now renovating a, a holiday house on the south coast or something like that and, or running a property development business or whatever it might be. And they want to dip into consulting projects when it's appropriate for them, when there's a really interesting challenge that they've got something to uh, to contribute to. So it works it works for them as well as it, as it works for us. Uh, and it's been very successful for us. I'll come back to the cost base because I think there's some, some really interesting learnings in there. But I, I guess it's that associate point is really key in terms of actually you know what you said around it works well for them and also it's it's about the skill sets you know what what i'm inferring from what you're you're saying chris is it's not simply just joe blogs day rate pm that you know was in a contract role before and is now an associate for you it's that associate specialist who like you say you you don't have a direct need for day in day out but you have a client need for in specific projects and actually that that win-win helps them as well because they don't want that full-time role. They they want to be doing the property development or the the house in the south of. Um, well, so did you say the south of uh, south coast here or the south of France? Or have you got both? You probably no, let's go for France. <laughs> that sounds better. Yeah, you're right. And also the associates, they've they've chosen that way to live their life and work their career because they like to pick and choose the projects they're on. You know, which is different from. A member of the core team, you know, we, we do spend a lot of time making sure the right people end up on the right projects, both to make sure we got the right project team to deliver the best outcome for the client, but also for the, the career development of that person, the development and support of people's careers is a, is a, a big part of Penn and getting people onto the right projects in the right roles is a big part of that, obviously. But you can't get away from the fact that in a small business, it's us against the rest of the world. We celebrate when we, when we win a piece of business and that's big news news for us, but it's got to be delivered and it may not be the sexiest piece of work and it might not be in the sexiest location, but it, it yeah, it's got to get done. And that's, that's kind of a part of real life, you know, nine times out of 10, you will be on work that, that excites you and, and on the role that, that is best for you. But sometimes it isn't, you know, but that's, we're all on a, on a mission to build the business and it, and that's part of the part of the job mm. well and i guess that's a must be a another benefit of that associate network of almost if you do have that extra resource and that specialist resource the the chances of one of your your core team having to be put on on a role that maybe is not quite right for them you know like you say it's a, it's a fact of life not every role is going to be the one you want but if you have an associate who is a specialist in i don't know supply chain logistics and that's the project that you need staffing actually it's much easier to fill that capacity with with that associate, whereas in firms maybe where they don't have that pool, if it's got to be one of your core team, it's got to be one of your core team. I'm interested in the point you mentioned around the, the 
the cost side and the, the benefits it brings there. Because obviously, like you say, growing a consulting business, the challenge that can come sometimes is if you're growing fast, you're bringing, you're bringing headcount on or you're bringing cost on. If the market changes, and you know we're when we're you know, recording this just at the start of 2020, we, we haven't seen a, a significant downturn for 10 plus years now, and obviously everyone, everyone knows sort of what, what the, the last one was. But actually, those sort of dips in the market can really hurt if you're not prepared for them. And I'm interested in, and it might have been something that you drew on those you know those pictures, and, and I want to come back to that if we have time because I love the the idea around. How have you structured those elements to almost minimize that cost and that risk to you and the, the team while being able to grow the business in the way that you want? By being sensible. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, the, so first of all, the associate model has a lot to do with that. So we're able to flex up and down on the size of the business depending on the market conditions. That, that it insulates the core team from, um, from external impacts. So the, the revenue... And anyone here would have to be severely impacted before anyone in the core team would be impacted. But managing the cost base is, is important. So, for example, we've adopted very modern business practices and, and built the company in a flexible way. So our office, for example, you're sitting in our office at the moment. We have a dedicated office which only holds, you know, maybe, you know, 10, 12 people because 90% of the time, there's very few people in the office. You yeah. know, a good consulting office is an empty one, as they say. So we don't have a lot of people at base camp, but we, um, if we're all there, you know, there's there's 40, nearly 45 of us there and that, that happens quite often. So we needed a solution that gave us both of those. So we have a small permanent office, but that is inside a managed working space. So when we have everybody here, there's touchdown desks that people can use. So that's a good example of, of keeping the cost flexible, but also, you know, on we have outsourced our IT and our HR and our legal and we've, we've just... We've just been sensible on that. And was that something that, well, I guess the question is, where did that come from? Was that something that you or, or others in the team had, had seen work well in previous businesses? Was it something that you came together as a group during the journey? Was there a point or what was it that led you to build the business in, in that way to, to let you have, like you say, that flexibility and obviously the benefits that would come from it? I'm not sure it's something that we'd seen before, but I was always, well, I guess we were all very mindful of this. We wanted to build a business that allowed us to grow at our own pace, to deliver great stuff for clients, say no to work we can't do, and not worry about utilization and rates all the time. So one of the ways to allow that to happen, to enable that scenario, is, is to manage your cost base well, so that you don't have a swollen operating cost every month that you need to pay, and that has worked well. And it's it's interesting for I think for others who who are either so a lot of listeners to the show are people who are looking to start their own consulting business and I think yeah. you know, as you say the, the pen model is almost testament to to that fact that you can build a, a a large and successful consulting firm with those flexible elements and I think the the key thing that you know I'm I'm taking from what you're saying is it's it's not that you're you're foregoing having like you said HR finance in our case marketing you, you've got the functions that any large consulting firm would have but you're doing it in such a way that you're you're not committing to a large sunk cost that you know like you highlight could impact if there the was way a we want to do business it, it, yeah. exactly and i think it's a fascinating point actually because that the unintended consequences as you highlighted of almost 
if you make some of these decisions, it, it, it does change how you have to do business by virtue of how you have to do business to fund the, I guess it's the same as personal lifestyle, isn't it? If suddenly you have to have a, an HR function and a marketing function and a finance function in-house and a big office, you have to behave in a certain way to fund that. Yeah, well, exactly. And that then causes, like you say, to sort of restrict some of those, you know, the way you want to run the firm. Um, and I think the, that brings us quite nicely on to almost the, the how you run it and how you run it for your people. Because I think this is something that I know you put a lot of effort and time into as a firm. And obviously recently been announced as a um, great place to work center of uh, excellence in well-being, which yeah. you know is is no small thing. And I think, did you say it's there's only 23 firms in, in the world that have been got that award this year? Was that, a, I might need to fact I check. I think it works. Yeah, we, we need to check that award. I think there were 23 firms that had participated in the Great Places to Work survey mm -hmm. that were awarded a center of excellence in well-being. There we go. That was, well, <laughs> that, I'm really proud of that. I'm really proud of that because, yeah, it sums up very well the core of Penn. We've talked about what we what we want to be, but the you know the culture within that is all about we call it the Penn family and making sure that we build the environment that gives people what they need, gives them the support they need to do what they want to do in their life, you know, and that means giving them the work that they want to do. That means giving them the time to enjoy it with their family and their friends. That means giving them the opportunity to get involved in entrepreneurial activities. We have a um, ventures business as well, where we, um, we set up and invest in other organizations, which the team get a lot of benefit from being involved in as well. And then um, some frivolous fun as well. You know, life's too short not to enjoy your life in, uh, in work. So yeah. actually we, we talk about, it's a very professional organization, but we talked about relaxed professionalism. Being professional doesn't mean that you can't smile and laugh at work uh, <laughs> or, or have some fun. So the culture of Penn is all about making sure that the support network is there for people to be able to, to do the work they want to do, to, to develop, to, to manage their career the way they want to manage it. On that culture piece, because like you say, the, you know, the, the things you have built are obviously a, a testament to, I'm sorry, the awards is obviously a testament to those things you've built. I'm interested, at, particularly as you know, you, the firm's grown, and maybe actually, and you, t you tell me again of almost, I don't know if this was a, a challenge as the firm sort of started in those early days, but actually, as you've grown, how have you maintained that culture? Because I think, and, and you know, many guests have talked about as you grow, things change and you have to do things differently to, to almost keep those, those values the same. But how, how here for yourselves at Penn have you, I guess, either at the start codified you know, what you want? You mentioned around those pitches. So maybe that was the start of that sort of cultural conversation. But how have you kept those core tenants as the firm have grown, as new partners have joined, as new new team members have joined? And almost were there any challenges along that way where you did have to take stock and, and do anything different to keep things the same as it were? Yeah, I think the first, it's just important to set the direction really clearly. And I don't think that means necessarily writing everything down in a very codified way, because I think I think it's very difficult to capture a culture in words, in a booklet that you can hand to someone and say, right, that's the culture you've got to live. That's the way it works around here. Yeah. I think if we did that, that would, you know, kind of break one of our first rules, which is, <laughs> you know, don't be too bureaucratic. Don't be too codified. Give people the space 
and time to work on what's important, either in their in their development on client work, developing the business, or on our or on our charitable stuff or our adventures. So I would say, first point is set the direction and the and so agreeing early doors how we want to run things, then living that. And so we we were quite lucky where we had nine people that started with that's quite a big group, and because we were all marching in the right direction. We could recruit around that and, and everybody started moving in the right direction as well, as long as everybody is living it. So I think we were able to build that culture even as we grew quite quickly in, in the early days. And I think calling it out, as I said earlier, you know, calling out issues and some are, some are small, really small points, some are, some are really big points, but facing into them and tackling them and sitting down and have a, an honest growing up adult conversation to pull someone up on on the way they are behaving that isn't acceptable or isn't right or and it may not be a conscious thing you know so it's they just need a nudge in the right direction so it's not about codifying it in the sense of writing it down but it's been you know really crystal clear in the in the minds of the people involved right at the start making sure everyone's going in the same direction and living it and then dealing dealing with it when someone isn't um living with the same values so it's something you said in there chris around like you say the if you're a firm of of two and you add two more that, that you've increased the firm or you've diluted the culture by 100 percent, you need to do certain things to you know to manage that i guess i'm really interested how you and the team here have managed that in that okay you started with a larger number in the the core team but that team's grown significantly over the time that you've you've all been working together and actually how you continue to embed that that culture when let's say when when there was nine and then you turn that into 18 everyone in the team had someone they could almost man mark now you're bigger that that can't happen what what are some of those things that either you do now or you you've done along that journey to to ensure that culture sustains and, and keeps in the way that you know you set out at the start it's a difficult one and I don't have all the answers <laughs> and that is something you know it's one of our biggest challenges over the next few years as we as we grow past that that kind of 50 person mark I think is a big a big milestone but yeah it's not it's not nine partners anymore you know we've got we've got 13 partners in the business and we we hope to be growing that more in the near future and every one of those partners is contributing in a valuable way to the the business in in their own way and we just make it very clear that one of the ways in which you need to contribute to the business is to maintain and build the culture we're also it's a very flat firm so we try not to be hierarchical so it is very very common and the norm really for some of the most inexperienced members of the team to be working with the most experienced members of the team on a day-to-day basis and i think that shape is really helpful on the cultural side because you can you can live the values in you know with the team on a day-to-day basis there's very little of the the style of kind of management that i saw in maybe in bigger consulting firms which is the rock in at the end of the day okay we need a presentation that does this this and this you know i'll be back in tomorrow morning and we'll go through it at penn it's much more right Here's the problem we've got to solve. Here's the situation we've got to deal with. Let's get in a room, roll our sleeves up, and let's deal with it together. And in doing that, you can you can demonstrate the the values. You know, we talk about the pen family a lot, and part of the, you know the big part of that is support. So I really enjoy being in a business, leading a business where support is is 
you know, one of the main tenants and new recruits, new people that have come into the business often say that to me, you know, that's the biggest difference I see is that, you know, everybody's pulling in the same direction. And if, if you send an email out saying, I need help with this, or I need, I need an example of this, or has anybody got a good model for this? You will get a lot of response to that. And, you know, you've got, you know, everybody knows that the support's there and, and that's the kind of the, the biggest part of the culture, I think. And you mentioned it, and I know it's something you touched on earlier about actually the the reason you, know, you left the bigger firms. I think it's a really interesting point for for anyone listening who who's thinking of moving, because most people can name all four of the big four and have a reasonable idea of what they do and, and the sort of the early career path that you, you get there. I think for many people, the next challenge comes when you're looking to move firm. And actually, for anyone listening who is at that stage, I guess where where you were, who was thinking, do I leave a, a PwC? Do I go and join a Deloitte KPMG, or do I take a chance with a smaller firm? Do I join somewhere like a pen? Actually, when you're having these conversations with candidates or, or new recruits, what are some of those almost benefits that they could potentially get from that smaller firm? And also, you know, if there are are some, what are some of those drawbacks or things that people really need to consider before making the leap to join a smaller firm? Yeah, it's a good question. And people, it's a big move, I would say. So moving from a big firm, big consultancy firm to a smaller business is needs to be carefully considered. It doesn't work for everybody. So I think the benefits are the exposure. So you will get much more exposure to the senior team in the small firm, but also to senior clients that we're, that we're working with. You know, there's, we don't have a massive team, so everybody needs to be comfortable in front of senior clients and operating in that environment and you will get the opportunity to do that from from day one there's no there's no hiding from that i think that's one of the reasons why the speed of learning and development is is so much quicker because of that exposure working with the senior team in a small firm you get the opportunity to see how they operate you get you get the opportunity to to take it all in and and see you know every aspect of the work whether it's whether it's business development, writing proposals, closing work, you know, kicking off projects, managing projects, the full gambit. And you you see the right way, you know what good looks like very quickly. There's less bureaucracy. So certainly at Penn, we we set out intentionally to build a business that, that didn't have needless bureaucracy involved in it. So we spent a lot of time to make sure that our processes and our systems are as slick as possible so people don't spend needless time claiming expenses, doing time reports, the way we do staff development and feedback and reviews is done in a really caring, supportive, important way, but it isn't about filling out loads of forms. And I remember the annual review process when I worked in big firms, it just seemed endless and there there was so much to do. And And I remember thinking at the time that I'm just taking a box here. I'm not really helping develop the career of the 23 people I was writing reviews for. So less bureaucracy, which gives you more time to focus on the things that are important to you. We've talked about support a lot, so I don't want to. I don't want to keep emphasising that. But you, you know, there's you know everybody in the business. You know where to go to for the help that you need, and it's easy to access, and people are keen to give it. And all that adds up to an environment in which you can you can develop, you can do the job that you want to, and you've got time to focus on on what you want to. You also get exposure to how the business runs. 
So we're very open at Penn about the financials of, of the business and how performance is going and where we are against the plan that we've set. And people know, they can see how their actions impact the performance of the business. And I think that direct correlation is really important. I remember working in big firms it seemed to happen every year when it came to bonus time, there'd be a message, listen, we've done really well and our practice has done brilliantly and the UK has done brilliantly, but Azerbaijan's done really badly this year. So I'm afraid <laughs> there's, there's no bonus to share, you know, you know, there's none of that in a small firm, you know, your actions, there's nothing I could do about Azerbaijan having a bad year. I couldn't influence that, but I was getting directly impacted. We're in a small firm, your actions really contribute to the performance of, of the business. And you get to build the business, which I think is a massive benefit. So you've got three responsibilities, certainly at Penn. You need to deliver great client work, but you also need to develop business as well. But lastly, you need to contribute internally to the building of the business. So part of our mission is to build a fantastic business we want to work in for many years to come. And that's everybody's responsibility. So if you're into building websites, Get involved in making the website better. If you, if 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 you're into recruitment, then get involved in recruitment. If you're into, you know, operations and IT, get involved in that. If marketing's your thing, then get involved in that. And you get to build a part of the business. And then, I know we're talking about small firms in general. Just a point to make about Penn is that everybody at Penn owns part of the business. You know, we have an employee ownership scheme. So which we probably don't make enough of. We don't talk about that I, enough, I'll actually. I'll be completely <laughs> honest, Chris. I, I did not appreciate that there was a... I know so when you say everyone, the, the entire firm, not just the, not just the partnership. So I didn't I didn't know that. So, so, every, so everybody at Penn owns owns part of Penn. So they're building their own their own business. We are building our own business together, and that's that's a big thing. But there's drawbacks as well, and that's why I think it's a big decision for someone to leave a big established organization to come to a small business and... You know, first of all, there's there's nowhere to hide, um, so it's not for everyone in in yeah. in that extent. So if you have areas of your consulting life that aren't that, that aren't as developed as some, that will be exposed. Now that happens in pen in a very supportive and helpful way, but that might not be the same in um, in all in all small firms. It can be hard to impress. So in my view, the the quality bar is a lot higher. And coming from a big firm where you might have got a pat on the back for doing something pretty pretty standard, that's not going to cut the mustard, at, certainly at Penn, So because the quality bar is, is so high. But there's less structure as well. So many people would take that as a, as a positive side of things. But, you know, the processes are, internal processes are less well documented. There is less direction on things. There isn't a, a training course. Or there's plenty of training, but not in the way that in year one, you go on this course. On year two, you go on this course. At Penn, you need to drive that yourself. You need to say, I, to help my career and take me in the direction I want to go, I'd really love to go on this type of course. And we'll help you do that. But you've got to, you've got to have that drive yourself. And the support around things like knowledge management or proposal writing or thought leadership that doesn't exist we do we do that all ourselves so if you don't thrive you know in an environment where which might not be as structured as you're used to then that that is a tricky thing and then the big one particularly for people that are involved in business development is that we don't have an, an established brand 
So although the pen brand is growing and it's getting out there more and, and is well established in certain areas, it doesn't open doors the way the big consulting organizations can with their brand. And that's a big drawback. So, you know, we often talk to people who are coming from big organizations and have sold 10 million pounds the previous year. But when you delve into their connections and their business development capabilities, you know, you know, they're not going to be able to repeat that in a smaller firm. It's a very different, very different ballgame, which is why I think it's a, a big decision to make. Well, I think it's a really balanced view you give. And actually, what I like in what you're saying is, I think it's horses for courses, isn't it? Is yeah. some people just, it's like everything in life, isn't it? Some people would will do better in a smaller firm. And you know, I know myself, for instance, I, I, I am of that ilk. But does that mean that people who do well in bigger firms are any better or worse? Well, no, it's just like you say, the, some people thrive with structure. And actually, those same people could really flounder without structure and, and vice versa. But I, th- I think your point around that, it being a huge, you know, a really big decision is quite key. And I guess, and, and the answer to this might just be, they need to think about everything you've just said, but, and maybe this is questions you ask some of your, you know, you, the people in your, your candidates in your process, or maybe the things you look out for, but what are those things someone should almost be thinking about before they move? Is it almost doing a, a bit of an audit against what you've said? Is that, or is there, you know, if, if there isn't anything else, stop me, but is there anything that you almost guide people, you really need to think about this before making that jump to make sure it's right for you. Yeah, well, I think there's definitely a checklist against the points the points I've made. But more generally, you've got to just take a step back and see what you're getting out of your career in in the place that you live at the moment. You know, you've got to, you've got to work out what you want from your career and whether you can see that happening. And if you can't see that happening, you've got to take control. That may mean a move, you know, because life is too short to not be in the right environment. So you've got to actively think about it. I think in the early years of a consulting career, I always say, just go with the flow, right? Get stuck into everything. Enjoy, you know, working on all the projects, even if it may not take you in the direction you think you want to go. Just, Just get involved because it takes time to work out what you enjoy and what you're good at. So just just suck everything up that you can and enjoy it. So once you've made the decision on the direction you want to take your career, you know, what you want to specialize in and how you, how you want to become a senior member of the business, if you can't see that happening in the firm you're with, then you need to make a change and um, you need to proactively do that. And I think running through the checklists we've just discussed, many of them will go into a different positive or negative column depending on who you are and the type of environment that suits you and you, you need to think think about that and i think there's a really you know, really powerful point in there chris around like you said that that take control i think almost whether it's it's big or small the decide what you what you want from your career and, and make the steps that get you there you know i think to what you've highlighted it could be very easy to blame a big firm for your your lack of progress should you wish but as you know, you highlighted in your own story and, and what you you know you mentioned there, actually, it's taking control that lets you get out of that. Should that be the route the route you want to take? Uh, absolutely, I got a lot out of working in big firms. I really enjoyed it, and I I really took a lot from it. And it's the real foundation of my career. They are excellent organisations, and um, th- there's a lot of great people there, and um, many of them are my friends. Right, so. Um, <laughs> It can be a great environment. My personal view is that a small business is a better way to deliver value for clients and a better way to do the work you want to do and enjoy it. 
mm. along the way. So I want to turn to, we'll start with the element you mentioned a bit earlier. And this is, again, elements of the business that I guess I'm not as, as close to in, in what we do for you on the marketing front, but I think are really interesting and quite unique about that, you know, the pen model and what you're building. And actually, you mentioned earlier around the venture side and also can take them at the same time or dig into them separately around that giving back as well, because I know in another element of what you do is the pen foundation. And almost I'd be really interested in what led you to set them up? Which one came first? And then for either or for both, what benefits do you find for both yourselves, your teams, and either the, the businesses you invest in or the causes you support? So neither came first. They were both fundamental pillars of what we decided to build whenever we made the decision to start Penn. So in our minds, there was always a consulting business, a charitable trust, and a ventures business, or we call it adventures because it's I talked about the, you know, the need to have entrepreneurial fun in your life. That was where we wanted to flex our entrepreneurial muscles and use the, the skills and experience we'd gained in our consulting lives in businesses that, that were outside of the consulting sphere. So we have invested in businesses with, with cash or with, with sweat equity. We've built businesses from scratch and we've done that with our own time and with time from the uh, from the, the pen team and we find that that's a big attraction to pen and a big part of what we what we talk about is a business and really interesting for the team and you can imagine when you know when, when you've got a space between projects to say okay we've got a one of the businesses we've set up as a is a medical billing business and we needed to do some work to automate some of the processes in there so one of the team took the time to find out more about automation. We brought a third-party solution in. We and we automated some some of the processes, some of the reconciliations around invoicing. You know, really detailed stuff. But the person in question, Jabran, if you're listening, got a lot out of that. We've been able to talk to clients about our experience in doing that, and we've helped a business that we have set up as well. And help me, just because you mentioned there around, you've got a few businesses. I mean. What does that what, what does that sort of investment portfolio, for want of a better word, look like? What are those businesses that you've, like, say, you set up, founded, funded in the ventures or adventures? Yeah, wide and varied. <laughs> so one of them is a medical billing business, and that was one of the that was uh, that's one of the ones we set up from scratch. There's another company that we have invested in, and um, we have a couple of directors on the board in, which is a uh, procurements school procurements business. There's another really exciting business, which is called Stable Pharma, which we've invested in through Sweat Equity, which is about, well, let me tell you the story of this one, actually, because this is interesting. So um, it turns out, I didn't know this, but it turns out that 60% of all vaccines that are produced in the world are destroyed. Really? Yeah, because a vaccine for the point at which it's produced needs to stay within a certain temperature range. So there's a thing called the cooled chain which is the point of production to the point of deployment, a vaccine needs to stay refrigerated. And obviously you're sending these vaccines to parts of the world that have unreliable electricity supplies. And, uh, you know, you're traveling in vans that might get stopped at border checkpoints. And, you know, these are hot countries, you know, so a lot of vaccines are destroyed. And we got involved with a business that has worked out how to desiccate vaccines into powder form. That's actually public that's actually public IP, that the technique for that is public. But the person that invented that also invented the technique to put the powder from the vaccine onto a small surgical sponge, 
put that into a medical syringe and package that and distribute it without the need for need for it to be refrigerated. <laughs> so that's a really exciting thing we're involved in. We and so, sorry, Chris, because I, I just I know it's I know it's slightly off topic, but it sounds it's fascinating, and I and that's okay. I know I know as much about pharma as, as the work I've done with your team. But how does that then? So do you just add water? So you, probably a terrible example. Is it frankly like a, a medical pot noodle? You add water to it, and and you're ready to go. Is that? Yeah. So the you um, suck up water into the syringe. The desiccated vaccine dissolves in the water, and it then is deployed, injected into uh, whoever needs it. Amazing. Which is really exciting. So we yeah. went through a um, crowdfunding process last year, which some of the team got involved in. We've raised the money and now we are going through the process to build the production of these things so wow. we can do human trials next year. And then we'll see where that goes. So those are wide and varied things that we've got involved in, but... We did that, as I say, that was a big pillar of what we tried to set up, what we have set up at Penn. So the consulting business, the charitable trust and the adventures. So back to the charitable trust, which I kind of hesitate to mention in too much depth because we've always said we don't want to use it as a tool to generate PR from, right? This is always something that was just at the heart of Penn. We wanted to give money back to people that need it more than ourselves. So uh, we've set up a charitable trust and we support three different charities that all help children. So a charity called the Renaissance Foundation that finds kids in schools that are often young carers or people that have taken the wrong direction in life that need help. And they run certain projects with these kids to give them a, a purpose and, and direction in life and, and see some great results with it. We work with a youth club in London Bridge area called Downside Fisher which provides a safe space for kids in the area. We've helped them refurbish their their youth club, their their gym. We've put helped them put new lighting into their gym. We've uh, where they every year they take a group away um, to do an outward out, outward bounds type activities, and their minibus was falling apart and they couldn't um, yeah they couldn't do what they wanted to do. So we donated a minibus to them. Wow! And we work with Lords Taverners as well, which is a a, a much bigger uh, charity that um, that helps children through sporting projects, mainly based around cricket. Every we support lots of different charities. So we give every person at Penn gets five hundred pounds a year to donate to a charity of their choice, which is lovely. So we get all these messages back into base camp saying, you know, from whoever's scout group or the local primary school football team where we put where we give them kits or whoever it might be and that's just so unclear because that's not matched funding that's just here's your 500 for the year do with it as you wish is that absolutely yeah it needs to go to a charity so that's the only rule that, you've got to give it to a charity yeah yeah you go you charity wow. of your choice and we will match funding as well so if someone is running the marathon or which a couple of us did last year or really, we're, we are um, a team of us is swimming across the channel this year. Yeah. We'll match the funding that, that people raise. And last year, we, we had a lovely milestone, actually, where we were able to celebrate giving our 500,000th 500, pound to charity. Wow. So little old Penn, you know, gave, has given half a million pounds and counting to charity, which is, you know, I'm very proud of that. We are very proud of that. And it's a big, big part of the business. Well, it's, I think, like you say, I mean, it's an amazing milestone, so well done on it. And, and I guess to that point around the, the culture and living those values that you set out, you know, those both examples there, you know, they, 
they're different, but they they talk to exactly the same thing of of letting people have that have those interests around what they do and and also let you share the, the positive benefits of of consulting both from the venture side in terms of sharing that knowledge to grow those ventures but also you know on the on the, the charitable side and actually you know things like i'm sure someone will say we do this but i've not heard anyone else who gives quite like you say that just here's 500 pounds give it to to whoever you you see fit and like you say you must get some amazing you know the the local under 11s football team or the local scout group and and i guess it, it like you said with that minibus i mean you you sometimes forget that consulting by virtue of what it is is the numbers that people throw around for projects and for fees and that clients will buy are very you know most of them will have five if not six if not seven zeros at the end of them yeah. and actually like you you highlight some of those you know a minibus or even just a few hundred quid for a kit can actually have a huge impact and, and actually shows the social good you can do through through a business like like yours as well yeah that's really we're very lucky you know to to be yeah working in the careers that we are you know when you when you think of what some other people go through so putting something back is is really important it's fun, you know it's fundamental so Chris, I think as with all of these interviews, we, we could keep talking about a whole host of things and, and not least, frankly, the what we just talked about around the, the different charities you've given to and also, frankly, the, the different uh, businesses that you're investing in because some of those things sound fantastic and, and like you highlight, I guess, also help demonstrate to your clients that you, you practice what you preach, which is a, a brilliant thing as well. Last two questions for today then, and these are, I know you've listened to a, a couple of these interviews yourself, so you probably know what's coming, but... For those who, who maybe this is their first interview, I mean, I'd, I hope the whole team have listened to all of the back catalogue, but you might be the first one to, to prompt them into listening to the show. <laughs> so the first question is, is about books. And I know we had a, a good conversation actually just before the, the recording about podcasts and different podcasts that you listen to, I listen to it, and, and other books as well. So this, I always say is books, but it doesn't have to be. So it could be resources, but it's very much... It's to get a guide on the things that have helped you and, and have helped others by virtue of you passing it on that knowledge. And so the, the way I usually ask the question is, what is the the book or books, but as I say, take it as you wish, that that you find yourself giving or recommending to, to others most or have had the most impact on you? Yeah, so I'll give you two, and they're not management books. I know most people give you management books, but I'm, that's, that's not the direction I'm going to go. So the first one, which I just, I actually give, to someone as recently as last week is okay. Papillon. Have you ever read Papillon? I, I have heard. I've heard the name. But forgive me. Remind me the. Uh, remind me the the, the plot. So if it's it's, it's, if it's fiction. No, no. It's it's real life. Um, so it's a biography of a guy called Henri Charrier, okay. who's a, a guy, a small town criminal who grew up in Paris, and he got convicted of a crime uh, that he didn't commit. Although he he did profess to being a petty criminal, but he didn't commit this crime, which is a murder. And he was sent to French Guiana, or, uh, to a prison colony in French Guiana. It's just a fascinating book because the story is what this guy went through to escape, effectively escaped a number of different prisons until he was sent to the prison that nobody had escaped from before, which he then escaped from. But it's I'm very interested in the mindset that you need to have to succeed in whatever it is that you're doing, whether in a consulting sense it's on a difficult project or solving a difficult problem, or if it's in your personal life or in, in bigger business, the mindset that you need to succeed. And I'm really interested in how far people can push their body and push their minds when they have that right focus. And I, I just think it's an, this, this whole book, I would really urge you to read it. 
is, is just an amazing story of what someone can achieve if they've got one focus goal in mind, nothing's going to stop them. It's an incredible story of endurance. As you were describing the plot, so I thought the name sounded familiar. Um, and I actually think I watched the film adaptation yeah. um, on my way either to or from Japan. Oh, really? Uh, oh, there you yeah, go. So last year. <laughs> well, I actually haven't. I've never seen the film. I don't want to. I, I don't want to ruin the book. It's with all films, isn't it? You should never. If you love the book, you probably should never watch, watch the, the film. film. Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. But I, I think <laughs> the, the point you highlight there, and, and the you know the the moral, regardless of of sort of the the, the subject matter, that resilience to keep going and, and keep persevering, because it's quite amazing the lengths. You know, firstly, how savage those prison islands yeah, were. Yeah, actually but they, were, but. Well, the lengths that he had to go to to escape it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, which, which leads me on to the second book, actually. So I'm, in, I'm in, interested in general about human endurance. Okay. And I've participated in a few endurance events myself to kind of see how far, you know, the human body can go. And another book I would recommend is called The Crossing, which is by James Cracknell and Ben Fogel. Okay. And they, so James Cracknell, famous Olympic rower, Ben Fogel, famous for, for being stuck on an island on his own or with a community of people and not a rower, decided to row across the Atlantic, which captured my imagination because it, it ends in Antigua, which is where my wife's family are from and it's somewhere that we spend a lot of time in. But it's an amazing book. It's First of all, it's very interesting. They write each chapter in sequence. So Ben writes one, then then uh, James writes one, and they go through. So you, you see the different perspective from each one and the fascinating point i'm not giving anything away right in fact they do get to the end <laughs> they make it to antigua that's and the, the and they won they won the race but the really fascinating thing is uh, there's a real lesson in incentives and motivation in humans because what happened was when they got to the final final few days it became clear that they had they were going to win the race with it you know they still had a few days to row but they knew they were going to win it because they were far enough ahead of the the last person and at that stage, James Cracknell's body gave up. So his goal in this whole endeavor was to win the race. And as soon as he had won the race, his body his body had achieved the goal and he actually became very ill and he kind of, he fell apart. Ben Fogel, whose goal was to get to Antigua, ended up being the person that got them to Antigua. So the Olympic rower, you know, pushed himself so hard on his goal. Once he knew he had got, he had achieved his goal, his body gave up, whereas Ben's took him the whole way. A really interesting insight into how motivations and incentives work. And it's an amazingly powerful point, isn't it? And there's, yeah. if we had had more time, I'm sure we could, could, I'm sure we could dig, talk about dig that into that. Time. But it, <laughs> I guess it, it is so... I'd be interested, in, and we uh, it tees us up for the next question. I'm gonna I'm gonna touch on it. I'm not gonna presume you saw it. You you may have seen it at the firms you had before. And actually, you may give this advice to the. You mentioned how some of the partnership now are partners who have been promoted through the firm. Yeah, and I think yeah. that's a really interesting question. Well, you tell me if it's if if it's an interesting question. Of, I think in consulting, a bit to that analogy, you know, getting to partner can sometimes be seen as winning the race, and actually, mm. your career is you know, that's the some people say it's the start of the next part of your career it's not an end it's a you know it's a different start point or, yeah, or point and almost to exactly that story how do you guide people here or what do you say to those you know those junior partners who who have made it you know they've won the race how do you advise people to keep that energy in the tank so you're not 
so you're ready for that next next race and you can keep that endurance going and, and focus for the next part of your career i think the focus shifts so the the job is very similar in terms of delivering for clients you know by the time you're an associate partner at Penn, you're already running client projects you're already selling work to to clients you're you know you're proving you can operate in that in the mold of a partner but things change when you become a partner because your role then is to to do the business development the lifeblood of the business to do the business development for pen and you're working alongside a group of people whose responsibility it is to keep the business running and growing and find the right work that we can do and that's a big responsibility so I think I think part of it is is introducing people to that in the right way, which is why we have quite a you know a structured progression rule before partner, and we spend a lot of time with with our associate partners on that. But I th- there's there's kind of recognizing that you put a lot of pressure on yourself when you first get to partner because you don't want to be the one letting the team down, and so we. I don't want to mention support again, but it is so important in Penn. Yeah. They need the support to grow into that role. Don't know if I've answered that question very well. No, well, I think I think it does. I guess it, you know, it's in the example you gave there with the, the sort of with the, with the crossing is it's exactly that, but it's it, it's much more pronounced because there's two of them. But actually, the, to that story, and you know, I've not read it, but I can only assume from what you said, they wouldn't have won the race if they didn't have that support. Because, like you said, James and Bonnie collapsed. Each other. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. And I, I realize I, I, I probably shouldn't have asked it, but it, it just it, it, it teed me up so nicely for it. I wanted to I wanted to dig into that because it's you know it's, it's an important thing and something that I know from my days in consulting sort of saw some people struggle with that transition. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's a fascinating area. I think to people always think it's the earlier grades that are the challenging ones, but I always think that's the, the transition. Well, no, I I agree with that. I think if your aim in life is to become a partner. That's a mistake, I think, because it's the start of the next journey, and that's really when the you know the pressure does ramp up, and there's there's, there's different aspects to consulting life, different um, tensions that come into play at that stage, and it, it is in a way learning a whole new way to go about your business. I don't know. I always I always thought in the big four firms I could see people that made partner. And they kind of disappeared for a while. You didn't, you didn't see them, and I, I wasn't really sure what was going on. But I now know that they were in panic mode, running around the market trying to trying to find work. So people definitely need the support, not just to get into the partner grade, but to flourish at that level. And I think that brings us nicely onto the. And I, I kick myself, but I'm glad we, I, I'm glad we went into it there. And it might make the answer to this one shorter, or it might just reinforce some of the points that we've highlighted throughout. And so the last question, and again, I, I'm, I'm sure you're expecting this one, but more more for our listeners is, it's to give your advice to people in those different levels. So we just touched on that sort of the people who have, have transitioned to partner, and the three people that are be really interested to get your advice for or actually people just slightly below those so the question is what one piece of advice would you give to each of these three people and those three people are somebody who is at graduate level so you know where you were you've done your three-day course you've got your graduate scheme you just come in your second is someone who in, in my i guess in sort of a, a, a big four partners you'd call a manager grade and then the third is that person just before, and it might be, again, just the recap of what we just touched on, but that person just before partner who's approaching partner or, and maybe, you know, given your, your own circumstances, maybe they're deciding whether they should follow that partnership route within a firm or they should go out on their own. And as I say, the, the, the question is quite simply, what one piece of advice would you give to each of those three people? 
Yeah, so for the young consultant, and you know, and first of all, yeah, I'm not sure how qualified I am to give advice, but here's <laughs> kind of my view of the world for it. For the young consultant, just get involved. Just get involved in everything. Say yes to everything. Get involved in as wide a variety of different types of projects as you can because you you, you don't know what you're going to enjoy and you don't know what you're going to be good at. Keep your eyes open and your head up. So it's, it's too easy sometimes to get sucked into the detail of projects. Think about why the project's happening, why the business that you're working for needs to make the change it's trying to change. Think about, you know, what you're trying to achieve as a project rather than the particular task you're working on that day or that week. I would say don't panic about whether you're doing the right types of jobs or the cool jobs or the sexy jobs. That'll all come. Just enjoy it and have a great time and get involved in everything and learn as much as you can from the the bad projects, the ones that don't go quite the way you want them to go, as you do from the good projects. That's one I'd give to the the young yeah. consultant. I think the um, well, the second one was kind of five years in. Yeah. So I and I've started saying manager, if only because I, I used to say four to five years. Yeah. But I, I, and maybe it's just because of how long I've, I've been out of sort of consulting in, in terms of being in a firm. But I, I think that's probably very good going to be a manager. So I don't want to uh, do people down, but take it where you almost, the, the place that you see as most poignant. So it could be where you were yeah, when you kind left of the, or the, the five, six years in, whatever. Exactly. I think now is the time you've got to take control of your destiny. You, you, whether you like it or not, you're going to have to make a decision about what direction you want to take your career. Do you want to develop some kind of deep subject matter expertise and be the person that sells work because you're known as the person that knows everything there is to know about a particular subject? And if there's a project going on in that area, you're the person that needs to be involved. Are you going to be a kind of a, a doer? just really good at getting stuff done and therefore clients will will ask for you whenever they've got a problem because they know that's the person that just can deliver at all costs no matter what the type of project it is or are you going to be the more business development driven knocking on doors building relationships you know which direction are you going to take and then take control of your your career and make sure you get the the career development support you need to take you there. And I think whatever direction you go on, and I would actually say this to the younger consultants, I say this to people all the time, I wish someone had grabbed me by the lapels whenever I was younger and given me a good shake and said, focus on building a network early in your career. And, you know, we spend a lot of time in this at, on this at Penn, which is not too early, never too early to start building a network. And it, that starts with what we call meaningful networking, and then that'll develop into business development in in, in the future. But and sorry, just because I just because you met you you mentioned it with the you know with the air quotes. What what for you is meaningful network? Because I think it's a really important point. But I, I'm I'm interested to get how you how you advise people on what that looks like. So what I mean for that is we're not talking about networking to make friends and um, and have a few beers or a coffee every <laughs> now and again, right? You need to be precise about it. You need to build a routine around it, and you need to record it and. And track it. That's the meaningful part of it. You're not trying to sell million pound projects at that stage. But what you are trying to do is develop a, a group of people in your chosen sector or industry that you know well. And 
you know, clients that you work with tend to, can shoot up organizations very quickly with just their, their, depending on how the company restructures or what they get involved in, they can shoot up the and become a decision maker pretty quickly. And in that case, you might have worked with them on a project six years ago yeah. when you were both analysts on a project or whatever it might have been. And you don't want to be the person that, that phones them up and says, oh, you know, remember me, we worked together six years ago and now you're uh, an important decision-making client and I'd, I'd like to come and, uh, and, yeah. and buy you a coffee. You know, you want to be the one that's on tech saying, well done, I knew you'd get that promotion. Lunch is on you because I bought last time. It'd be great to crash up because I want to tell you what's been going on in my world and, and see what's going on with you. So don't underestimate the importance of that. Well, I think it's a, a really powerful point that, like you say, that, that meaningful part and both doing it with purpose and also keeping track of it. I think it's, like you say, the... I remember when I started my career, you're told to, to just go and meet people. And to an extent, you know, that is a good thing. But actually, at some point, that needs to turn into, like you say, you just you need to keep track of that. And I guess that really, I think it's a really important piece you mentioned as well of don't just, because you met someone six years ago, think that you're, you're still best friends or you, know, you, you have a relationship in a work context. I think particularly with things like LinkedIn, it's, I think some people think if you're connected with someone, you're, yeah, yeah you're going to be connected forever. Yeah, yeah, um, exactly. And actually, that important. <laughs> That's a good yeah, point. You know, like like you've highlighted there, and it's, like, it's largely where where the success of pen has come from. I guess of those networks and those meaningful contacts build. You know, the the tree sort of. If you think of them like flowers, you they start as seeds. But if you're an analyst in you know in in one of these consulting firms, and they're a, an analyst in a client organization, by the time you're a partner, well. If they've done all right. They may well have problems that need solving and could do with their help. <laughs> exactly. Absolutely. And it's there, you know, start as early as you can. Mm. Have fun with it. Make the mistakes early. And and by the time that it really needs to be part of your, you know, career progression, you'll be well equipped. Definitely. And so then the last, and apologies, I jumped in as you were explaining it, but the, so the last person, and this again might, maybe we'll, because I think we we, we touched on just before your, your advice for, those people who make partners so so if there's anything that you wanted to add do but i'd almost be fascinated in if we frame that piece around the, the people like yourself when you you know you and the founders went out what advice would you give to anyone who's deciding whether whether they're going to stay as a partner in a, in a, in a firm be it you know, be it somewhere like penn be it a larger firm or whether they're deciding right it's time to is it time to go out on my own well if someone's deciding to go out on their own i i, I would say do it <laughs> So I, my view on this is that life is about minimizing regrets. So if you can get to the end of your life with as few regrets as possible, I think you've done a good job. And if you are thinking, seriously thinking about starting a business or starting out on your own or, or doing making a ballsy decision like that, give it a go. Get, you know, do it. Don't be the be the person in ten years' time who who looks back and thinks, "I really wish I'd started my own thing." Go and do it. You will learn a hell of a lot. You know, you you may it, it may not grow into something. You may not make it, but you'll learn a hell of a lot, and you'll have some fun along the way. And you know, what's the worst that can happen? Okay, doesn't it doesn't work out? You pack up your bags and work out what to do next with your life. It's not going to be the end of the world. So give it a go. Well, Chris, I I love that, and I love the. Uh, that minimizing regrets, I think, such a such a powerful frame because it completely changes 
changing how you how you look at life and like you say you know what's what's the worst that can happen with it this has been a great conversation chris and i'm really it's been nice to i know obviously we we have conversations in the work that we do together but it's been great to actually sit down and, and have a have this chat with you and, and say learn things that i i didn't know and you know some really powerful things in there as well so so thank you very much for anyone who has listened to this wants to find out more about yourself more about pen maybe they you know from what you're saying it they want to they're looking to make that move you did and are looking for that boutique firm to to be the place that they make that jump where can they they get in touch with you where would you point them to yeah you can contact me on linkedin is probably the best the best way to get hold of me if you are thinking about a career a small consulting business and pen sounds like the place for you then uh, head over to our website and you'll find what roles we're uh, we're searching for at the moment you'll be able to uh, to apply fantastic well i will put both of those in the show notes so that anyone who's listening can go and find them and all that's left to say chris is thank you very much and, and all the best for the rest of your week yeah thank you nick i've really enjoyed that thanks a lot all the best I hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Climb in Consulting podcast. If you did, I would be very grateful if you could leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or your podcast platform of choice, whichever one you may be using. And please also share this with anyone that you think could benefit from hearing today's interview. If you want to get in touch or give me any feedback about the podcast, please feel free to drop me an email. It's nick at climbinconsulting.com and I look forward to hearing from you.